Hello, 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 and welcome to Useful Idiots uh, Monday morning call-in. Calling all useful idiots. Uh, so great to be here with you. Make sure you please share this. Um, and again, please support us and get great extra content at usefulidiots.substack.com. We give you really great uh, extended interviews. We got a spicy, spicy interview with Norman Finkelstein. We also do something called uh, Thursday Throwdowns, which is your midweek media madness uh, dose. So we got some questions already. No, we don't. We got a bunch of listeners. Um, and so we can just start chatting. Uh, oh, we got it. We got a question. We got a questioner. Left is best. Unmute yourself, please. Yep. Hi, left is best. Hey, guys. Uh, good morning. Hi. Uh, this question is uh, posed for Aaron. Um, I don't hear too many people talking about uh, Syria, not Syria, but Israel's airstrikes on Syria. And I was wondering, <clears throat> is it just a long-term conflict or is there like recent developments to where uh, that we don't know, like, and no one's reporting about? Like, I believe they they struck an airport within Syria and it's like, I don't, it's really strange, right? Because even if we accept like mainstream media's ideas that, you know, Russia, hold on a second. Did I just lose you guys? No, you're there. Okay. Um, like, oh, Russia's changing borders, blah, blah, blah. But yet, you know, the United States, you know, gifting the Golan Heights to Israel. Now Israel bombing airports in Syria, right? They, it's, it's strange to me that people don't see the hypocrisy in that, like, at least with Russia, they have like, you know, um, you know, uh, like they have a, a narrative that there are, are, you know, Russian speakers and Russian, you know, descendants, you know, people that have migrated into Ukraine that they're trying to protect. I don't know of any huge populations of Israelis in Syria that they're trying to protect. It just seems like a flat out, you know, um, offensive. And I was wondering what your knowledge is and what your take is of, of those developments. I, I totally agree with you. It's so strange that we just don't talk about, I mean, Syria in general. I mean, so much of Syria is being ignored, even though the U.S. is occupying one third of it, even though there's been, you know, a huge war there for 10 years where the U.S. spent billions of dollars. It's most expensive, probably it's most expensive covert war ever, I think, Um and left so much destruction is now imposing really murderous sanctions on Syria. And the aspect of it that we also don't discuss is Israel regularly bombs Syria. And why? Why are they bombing Syria? It's not a threat to Israel. Um, and it's a good question. It's, it's the same reason. Why was Syria subjected to this international dirty war? So many countries spending billions and billions of dollars to tear it apart. Um, and support an insurgency dominated by Al-Qaeda? And the answer is basically that Syria is independent. It's not under U.S. control. It's not a like the Gulf dictatorships that basically act as clients of the U.S. and proxies. And accordingly, uh, it has to be punished because it's it charts its own course, and it also is allies with Hezbollah and Iran, which also um, you know are opponents of Israel and the U.S. So Israel just bombs whatever it wants, uh, it takes out, you know, as you said, the airport has been struck a few times, both in Damascus and in Aleppo. Um, all these civilian targets, the port of Latakia, uh, 
Israel even bombs Iranian tankers bringing fuel to Syria because Syria can't access its own oil because the U.S. steals that. So Syria has to rely on allies like Iran. And when they do that, Israel just bombs the tankers. And it's happened hundreds of times, I think. And we just don't care in the U.S. because that's our aggression. And that's a victim that that we are tormenting. And so accordingly, you know, we have the right to do that. And Israel goes along because it's a U.S. client. And also it doesn't like Syria because Syria has always supported Palestinian resistance. Hamas was based in Damascus for a long time. So, I mean, all these factors help uh, lead to, you know, Israel's attacks on, on Syria and and why the U.S. media ignores it. But it's such a scandal because all the principles that Russia is violating in Ukraine, you know, sovereignty, uh, you know, bombing infrastructure, bombing civilians, that's what Israel's been doing in Syria for a long time. And also... Um, what the U.S. is doing, too, because, you know, just like Ukraine didn't invite Russia into Ukraine, Syria didn't invite the U.S. into Syria and didn't invite the U.S. to steal its oil and its wheat. But that's what the U.S. is doing. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good show. Thank you. OK. Um, gee, so, Katie, you, you have to bring in the next caller because. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry. One second. Ah. Uh, where are we? Okay. Uh, GSOP. And I'm sorry if I, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Good morning. Good morning. I just have, well, I just have one quick question to each, each of you. I'd like to ask Mr. Mate if he's still working on that book on Russia Gate. And um, from his... the, the answer is yes. Yes, I am. You are? Yes. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that, believe it or not. I'm glad there's someone out there I interested in, in my book. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thrilled. Um, you, you know, the thing about writing a book these days is nobody reads books anymore and it just takes forever. So I, pre- so it's encouraging to me that at least one person out there is, is interested in it. So thank you. When do you believe it will be finished? I believe it will be finished in the next month or so. And uh, after that, I believe it's it will come It's going to be finished uh, next month? I hope so, yes. I, I've, been working on it for really... a long, I've been working on it for a long time, and I hope it will come out next year, early next year. Really? Yeah. Do you know by what publisher? I, I mean, mean do you know, I do know by what publisher that we published the book. Yeah, yes, I do. I do have a publisher. I, I'm not going to reveal. Actually, no, I can reveal it because it's already public. It's it's OR Books. They're based in New York City, and they're great. Of course. Well, speaking of books, do you believe that uh, that book by Miss Gonzalez is worth reading? The book. That, uh, uh, by by Miss Gonzalez, is that what you said? Yeah, yes, Miss Karina Gonzalez. Oh, I absolutely do think that book is worth reading. Yes, the, that that is called The Cookie Still Sing. Uh, it's by my partner Karina Gonzalez, and uh, it's a children's book about Puerto Rico, which I've promoted before. And yes, I definitely think it's worth reading. I remember you said that, Mr. Mate. And to Miss Harper, I just like to know 
when she, who she intends to invite for tomorrow night. Uh, Stefania Maurizi is going to be, and I'll be interviewing her about her great book called Secret Power about Julian Assange. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Let's see who we got next. Uh, we got Lucius. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. How's it going? Yeah, last time malfunctioned, but that was early call-in days. Um, it's good. I'm uh, yeah, calling partly just because my first call, I had just walked uh, quite a ways to walk some dogs. I'm pretty disabled, but I can still do a few dogs a day. So, uh, yeah, I was like, oh. <sighs> like panting the whole time. So, uh, like a dog. Anyway, um, yeah, I just, as always, I'm so appreciative of uh, what both of you do. Uh, as well as Matt, of course. And um, wanted to start off by saying I saw Aaron's dad, not for the first time, on Jimmy Dore, and the interview was just sublime. Uh, they both got into their personal traumas. It got really, like, deep, nitty-gritty, like, in, like delving into our own psyches. So I wanted to say, Aaron, you've got a very cool dad. I'm sure you know this. Um, hey, thanks. And, and I believe, my, I believe, Katie, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you're lined up to interview him pretty yes, soon, too, right? Uh, in January. Okay, Ooh. nice. 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 Excited. Um, yeah. yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, and I guess your brother co wrote it, so cool family in general. Like, wow. Um, I would say I'm jealous, but my parents are great. So, uh, and um, yeah, so my question was kind of a general quandary, which is, um, I, I have so many people I know, I live in Connecticut, so uh, we're a very blue state, and uh, the area I'm in is very, like, liberal blue, but it's that kind of extremely well-meaning liberal that mostly thinks CNN and the New York Times are where you need to go to know what's going on, and so I try to explain, you know, I'll explain, like, a Gray Zone article, and I'll get these blank looks, like, where they're just writing me off, oh, you're one of those QAnon people. Like, how do you appeal to that? Um, how do you appeal to people's reason without saying, have you seen The Matrix? You know, <laughs> like, do you know what's going on? Yeah. Do you know we're the most propagandized country in the, on Earth, except maybe China? And that doesn't work. I've tried it. So, yeah, just yeah. looking for recommendations there for well, outreach. You know, look, it's a really tough question because, yes, a lot of the things that an outlet like the Gray Zone will say to someone who's not, who hasn't been exposed to a dissenting point of view and only his only consumes mainstream media, it's going to sometimes it will sound totally out there, you know, because they're, they're just not used to anything challenging the conventional establishment narrative. But what I would do is say, is try to appeal to people's own experience and invoke times when they've realized they've been lied to. So, for example, you know, saying something like, um, you know, you remember during the Iraq war when we were lied to, like they said there was weapons of mass destruction, that the intelligence was rock solid and all this stuff, but that was a lie. So, I mean... Yep, that is my my go-to generally and the most successful talking point I've ever used is just WMDs. Yes, and, and then ask them, are you open to the possibility that something similar could be happening here? And if they're open to it, then you have a way to, you know, raise the issue. If they're not open to it, then they're not open to it. And and, and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So I had a really illuminating conversation over the summer at a family reunion. Um, Like my mom's side of the family, we're very close. The cousins all know each other and keep in touch. 
So we get together every two years at this beautiful spot in the, the Delaware coastal area. And um, so my cousin-in-law, my, I think, second youngest cousin's husband, um, we got into these political debates, and he kept saying stuff about Russia's aggression and um, basically characterizing Putin in the usual way of, like, MSNBC, that um, he intends to invade Europe and, you know, he's starting with Ukraine uh, and that whole narrative. And I tried to explain the Minsk Accords. He kind of questioned my veracity on it. And I referred him to the Gray Zone uh, Scott Ritter interview, which goes way back. And I said, please, just watch this. Like, I, I'm telling you these things. Just please watch. This guy is so credible. You should really just check it out if you have the time. And um, he started watching it. And the next day, he, he just, he didn't have anything to say <laughs> anymore. I think it actually got through to him was the takeaway for me. Um, and he just didn't want to do a mea culpa. Um, but, you know, Ritter is such a great go-to if you're going to say, like, here's somebody who's just unimpeachable. And that's, the along with WMDs, that's the first place I go. Yeah, well, that, you know, um, that's what alternative media is for, is to expose people to just perspectives that are banned elsewhere, that you just cannot get on corporate media. And uh, so that's great. Um, that's And it's cool that, that your relative was open to hearing a dissenting point of view, because most, or not most people, many people aren't. So... You know, that's why it's just, you always got to be yeah, as respectful as possible. Yeah, I wouldn't have even gotten it's into a protracted debate. Uh, he's a smart guy. I could tell, like, he really wanted to know. So, yeah, yeah. I just respected yeah. his intelligence and referred him out. And, yeah. And last thing, uh, especially to Katie, but also to you, Aaron, uh, like, thank you so much for both boosting Revolutionary Blackout Network. I plug them every time. They are, they are the next big thing, I think. Uh, they just don't know it yet. Or maybe they do. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. And I know Nick calls in all the time. All right. Uh, Lucius, thank you for the call. So, yes, I will let you go. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Okay. Rena. Hi, Katie. Hi, Aaron. Um, agree with the previous caller, Aaron, about uh, that interview that your dad did with, uh, with Jimmy Dore. And I... I do have to point out that uh, you must have inherited your sense of humor. Uh, your your father and Jimmy were talking about um, uh, oligarchs and the rich getting richer and the bazillionaires and this and that and the other. And your dad said, "Well, you know, it's." He said, "It is a problem." And I, he was discussing it with somebody else, and they, oh, how how do we solve this problem? He said, well, basically, you just wait till one guy ha has all the money and then you shoot him. <laughs> so hilarious yeah. and just, you know, totally deadpan, just came out of nowhere. It was, it was, I was literally laughing out loud. So yes. kudos to kudos yeah. to him for that. He, um, is, he, he is Hungarian and Hungarians have a very dry, dark sense of humor because of all the torment they suffered through generations and it, it's led to a really I, I love the hungarian sense of humor it's so kind of morbid and dark and dry and i've definitely i think gotten that from uh from, uh, from my dad and, I, and he's yeah i mean he's 
he's a really actually he comes off very serious publicly, but he he's actually very funny. And uh, so that's funny. Uh, I'm glad. And I, and I love, and by the way, I love the interview he did with Jimmy too. I thought it was, it was one of my favorites that he's done. I thought it was great. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to watch uh, the Joe Rogan one yet. I'm sure, I'm sure it was, that was great. It was too. also good. It was also, it was great, also yeah. good, but yeah, I, Jimmy, Jimmy was great. Your dad was great. It was, it was wonderful to see just, just one quick question for the both of you. Uh, any comment on, on, actually I have two questions. Both, both pertaining to the World Cup, uh, which I'm sure you're both following devotedly, as am I not. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I have found it very interesting that the uh, Israeli press is being boycotted uh, at the World Cup. I mean, they're there and Israel is there while Russia is not. Uh, but uh, the, the press, uh, the Israeli press uh, can't get anybody to talk to them which I personally find hilarious. And secondarily, uh, how, how are we, how, I remember, I remember uh, with South Africa apartheid that their athletes were not allowed to compete internationally. Mm-hmm. And at the time I thought that was a good idea. Yeah. But, but seeing what's going on now where Russia is the excluded country and every other country, every other warmongering country in the world is uh, free to compete at uh, amateur events, uh, world class events, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm kind of rethinking my stand on whether that was a good thing, even even where South Africa was concerned, because uh, I don't know if we've got more corrupt countries now and so many more people, you know, People pointing fingers at Russia are just just a pile of hypocrites, as far as I'm concerned. Um, here's, here's but anyway, where, your thoughts on any or all here's of that. Where, here's where I think you can totally justify the South Africa uh, boycott. Um, and uh, you look at the question of what does the majority of the population inside the country support? Right. And with South Africa, the majority of the population, which is black, absolutely supported the boycott absolutely there was no doubt right and in israel you can make the same argument because there are um millions of palestinians who i also would imagine support the boycott so that's where i think you can make that argument inside russia that's not the case you know so that to me is is a way to uh uh, to justify it because I do think that boycotts like this are important. And the question is, you know, who, where is this coming from and who is, you know, who, who's doing the boycotting on behalf of whom in the case of South Africa, you had vast majority support from the population. Right. It's a good limit. It still, it still seems unfair to me because I suspect, um, well, I know how much impact I have on my government's policies. And uh, I can imagine that, um, I don't know, people who were running track in South Africa, for example, who were who were not allowed at the, at the Summer Olympic Games, I imagine even, even if they hadn't been in favor of apartheid, that they had about as much influence over their government as I have over mine currently. So that that's my only thing. Just Just a little sympathy for the athletes. No, fair enough. Look, and it's tough because, you know, doing stuff like this will end up punishing people who have nothing to do with their government. And, and I, I get that. 
uh, it's, but sometimes these things work, you know, sometimes this is what it takes is you got to like sacrifice like this have to be made. You know, yeah. uh, I, I think you raise a really important issue and I, I'm not saying I know the definitive answer to it, but I'm just saying is there are arguments such as the one I laid out that can, you know, be at least be explored. Yeah. I think that's a good litmus test personally. Well, appreciate you both, and uh, it was nice to have uh, have you guys uh, release those bonus episodes to uh, suck, suck in some more people to your Substack. So, good job on that. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the call, oh. Rena. Appreciate it. Okay, William. Okay. Pop up window. When you're done speaking, yes. appear to unmute. Although, how you doing? I've been trying to call in for a long time. Since, well, uh, welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Since September 26th, in matter of fact, because that, that was my birthday. I wanted I wanted to get a happy birthday from you guys. But, happy you know, birthday. Well, thank you. But it's, it's over with now. So anyway. Happy belated. Huh? Happy belated. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm going to start out by telling you what I'm not calling about. I don't give a damn about January 6th. I think it's nonsense. I don't care about Ukraine. I think that's nonsense, too. I'm, I'm talking about, I want to talk about misinformation. And not Twitter or Facebook or another rest of social media, stuff like that. I'm talking about visual misinformation. The stuff that's been going on long before we even had an internet. For instance, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, every time they did a story about welfare, right, you never saw anything on that story but black people. Uh I mean, like, every, every interview was with a black person. Every, if they didn't do an interview, they showed stock footage of a of a uh, welfare waiting room with black people in every seat. Yeah. You know? And there was the whole and, stereotype about, about welfare queens, you know, right. black yeah, ladies driving yeah. Cadillacs to pick up their welfare checks. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the, the thing that got me when I heard that, I'm like, okay, so Reagan, he knows this lady's, he knows how many social security cards this lady's got. He knows how much money she makes. He knows uh, what kind of car she drives, what kind of coat she wears, what's her name? Yep. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know, and like yep. nobody, nobody would even ask him, what is her name? You yep. know, why is yep. she not in custody? Yep. Anyway, yep. so at the end of all of this, right before, right before Bill Clinton was going to um, uh, sign the paperwork to get rid of welfare, they said this on ABC News, ABC Evening News. I can't remember exactly when they said it. I can't exactly remember who said it, but they, they reported it twice. They said that four out of every five people on welfare are white. Mm, yeah. That means 80% of the welfare roles were white. All this time that you've been thinking that there's nobody on welfare but black people, and I grew up in Chicago, so now I can't say that it was exactly that way all over the country because I didn't live all over the country. I lived in Chicago. 
Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Chicago. Mm-hmm. All right? But but everywhere I went, I get, I get in the same kind of conversations with people. I have a lot of white people come up to me talking about, well, you know, they invented uh, welfare for black people. I uh, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, welfare was invented in 1935. Nobody cared about black people in 1935. You right. Know? But anyway. But like I said, the same way, the same way that they made everybody believe, and even black people believe this, that that everybody on welfare or most of the people on welfare were black, they do the same thing with criminality today. You know? Yeah. They have, you got, and black people are overrepresented in anything, everything to do with prison, everything to do with crime. And I mean, and we're not we're not innocent in it. Black people are not innocent. Okay, we we we're complicit in it. That's the one thing that disheartens me the most is the fact that we're not we're not we're complicit in this. You know, we put out so-called music. I call it trash, but you know, they put out music where we sit up and we talk about uh, violence. We glorify violence. We we talk about slinging dope and and like we call our women female dogs and prostitutes you know i mean well it's no no community is monolith right huh like no community is a monolith is like all is is identical across the board like you have you have that culture in uh, across all racial groups like misogyny is uh transcultural yeah but not but but look at this though like in movies like in one one movie in particular, Trading Places. Remember that movie with, with yeah. uh, Dan Aykroyd and, and uh, Eddie Murphy? Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. And so you got Don Amici in there. He's playing this character, uh, uh, one of the Duke brothers. I forget his name. Mortimer Duke. Mortimer Duke. Anyway, so he says that he's, he's talking about uh, Eddie Murphy. He says he's a Negro. He's probably been stealing since he could crawl. You know, now how much more racist can you get in a movie? And if this and and Katie, if they had said that, if they said he's a Jew, right? I mean, I will say, I, I mean, that, he's probably been stealing since he could crawl. What having, they'd be screaming anti-Semitism from the rooftops. Well, having watched that movie, I think that I don't think that that movie is endorsing that. I mean, he's portrayed as a racist. That's the premise of the movie: is that Don Amici and the other guy. I, I get that. I understand that. I understand that. I'm just saying that racist comments like that are like commonplace in our in movies, right? You know, and and it just it just like it it's it perpetuates the stereotype. But but look, I got just one thing to say about the prison population. Now, I I, I went to I went on Google, right? Google says that the prison population is two million, right? 38% of those people are black. 32% of those people are white. 38% of 2 million people is 760,000 people. All right? Out of a pool of 40 million people. So there are 40, 40 million people at taking, if you take 760,000 people out of 40 million people, that comes out to 1,900 people per 100,000. 640,000 people, that's the number of white people that's in prison, but that's taken out of a pool of 211 million people. That term, that comes out to like 300 people per 100,000, which means that there's a 
disparity of 6.3%. I mean, 6.3 times black people in prison as, 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 as many as white people in the same sample size. All right. So now I'm going to make three really ridiculous assumptions. The first assumption is that policing is fair and the court system is fair. There's no racism, no class bias, no nothing. It's everybody gets treated the same. All right. That's the first ridiculous assumption. Second ridiculous assumption is that the proportion of criminals in prison is the same as the proportion of criminals on the street. And that would be followed from the first assumption. If the first assumption is true, then the second assumption would have to be true. All right. So, and the third assumption is that only 5% of white people are criminals. Now, according to the 2020 census, the uh, country is 64% white. There's 64% of the population as a whole is white people. All right. Right. So now, um, so that means that if if only five percent of the people are are criminals, that means that five percent of sixty four percent is like three point two percent. I don't need to to point to just say three percent. Let's say three percent of white people are three uh, percent of the population of, of as a whole is white criminals. All right. So that means that. Black people have to make up three uh, three times six point three, which would be eighteen point nine percent of the population as a whole. Right. So now, but the problem with that is that according to the twenty twenty census, there's only twelve point four percent of black people in the country. So right. I'm not I'm not proving that the the distribution in the prison is mathematically impossible because they're in there. I mean, how can I prove that they're not that that's impossible? They're in there. What I'm proving is that the uh the system is definitely biased. Um yes. And Without when, question. yes, well uh thank you for all this. You're obviously very informed and you have a lot of facts at your disposal and I I really appreciate hearing all this. And uh yeah I I totally agree with you. And thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Okay, right. neoliberal tears. Thanks, William. Uh, hey guys, happy Monday morning. Hello. Yes, uh, it can be. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys um, an Assange question. You know, maybe it's my, maybe it's a trade of um, trying to be hopeful in these dire times. But um, and Katie, thank you for. Um, I, I heard you say you were going to interview Stefania tomorrow. That's that's amazing. Um, what do you guys make of, you know, I was reading, um, you know, that today the WikiLeaks delegation team met with um, the transition team for Lula, uh, the Silva in Brazil. And with um, comments from, you know, President Petro in Colombia, like he literally tweeted, um, you know, that Assange should be freed, which is something I think we could all put on uh, our vision board for Biden. You know, it will never happen. But he literally, you know, uh, tweeted that uh, that the truth is not a crime and that yes. asking officially to pardon him and with the Mexican president AMLO offering asylum to to Assange um, 
diplomatic through diplomatic channel but channels but also publicly and putting pressure on that do you think there's any hope um for self-serving narcissists in our congress to like take that opportunity and start running with it you know if i was not that i ever would because ew but like if i ever you know was running comms for someone like ro Khanna, you know who's hiring posters trying to run for president i would say this is the issue you really want to like um die on a hill on you know this is where there's political enough political pressure to actually potentially move something and also that's where people are um so i don't know what do you yeah, there's also another big development, which is that for the first time, uh, news outlets, including the New York Times and The Guardian and Le Monde and Dear Spiegel and El Pais, all of whom have published WikiLeaks uh, documents and cables before, they've just sent a letter to the U.S. government calling on them to drop the charges, which is really big, especially for the New York yeah. Times to get involved. Um, the letter says obtaining and disclosing sensitive information when necessary in the public interest is a core part of the daily work of journalists. If that work is criminalized, our public discourse and our democracies are made significantly weaker. Like, no shit. I mean, this has been apparent for as long as Julian Assange has been persecuted, but it's taken a long time for media outlets like the New York Times to recognize that. So it's better late than never. And the fact that they're speaking out just completely underscores that Julian Assange is being targeted for doing journalism. And either you believe in journalism and free speech and uh, a free press or not. And if you don't believe in it, then you're going to be silent as Julian Assange is tortured and persecuted. So the fact that, you know, these outlets are coming out now, I think shows that there's some life left for journalism in the, in the U S and the NATO states. So that's encouraging. And, um, the problem is Julian Assange is so despised by the rulers and so vilified by the media. There's been a huge propaganda campaign to demonize him. It's very difficult. And nobody feels politically in the U.S. as if they have the space uh, to do anything conciliatory towards Assange. And by conciliatory, I just mean not torturing him, you know. Um, so it'll be difficult. But. When things like this happen, when even the establishment stenographers feel compelled to speak up for Julian, I find that very encouraging. Yeah, that is a huge breakthrough. I mean, it's pathetic because it should have happened a while ago, as you said, but it's really important. Yeah, no, I guess I guess we want them to. We want our besties to join us eventually. So I guess that's a sign. It's definitely too late. But, you know, Mexico is not like an inconsequential player. Like it's like, you know, it's a huge country. It's literally our neighbor, you know, and Brazil, too. So I'm, I guess I'm hoping that Biden is. Oh, no, it's just fun. It'll be interesting if he winds up being. I mean, so far, Latin America has been his biggest friend. Right. Or or he'll tell them to not come again or something. I mean, well, I mean, maybe. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I'm ho I'm just hoping that Biden is like political enough in the sense that he doesn't give a shit about anything, really, unless he's pressured to where there is enough pressure coming from. I mean, Brazil is huge. And if Lula is able to sort of um, to exercise influence in that way and 
and and somehow combine it with the the efforts of other countries like Colombia, I think that sort of paves the way, hopefully, for, uh, you know, even one member of Congress. I just want to see one uh, to, like, say, hey, Biden, I'm taking a stand on this. Like, I'm going to hold a must-pass bill over this. But I don't know. Maybe I'm hoping. I, uh, I, I mean, I'd love to see that. I just, I've seen no evidence at all that any of these Democrats have any Right. Spine, but I'd love to see that. I uh, I hope you're right from your mouth to God's ears. So thank you for the call and free Julian Assange. Yeah. All right, Michelle. And tune in tomorrow at seven p.m. at YouTube.com/slash the Katie Halper Show. Yes. Yeah, so so you're interviewing Stefania Maritzi, and she she's a really important journalist who has written a book about WikiLeaks. Right. It, it came out recently, I think. Yeah, it just came out. Secret just Power. Out. Yeah. And she's worked with WikiLeaks, and by the way, she is someone who can debunk the whole lie that like if you remember the access hollywood tape um when that came out with trump bragging about grabbing women by the um by but by the p-word and um and then the same day wikileaks also released the john podesta emails and so a really big conspiracy theory from russia gators was that like julian assange did this to time it to like blunt the impact of the access hollywood leaks and that helped distract the media uh, right. from uh, from from the Access Hollywood tape, when really Stefani Moritzi was working on that story, and she says the plan all along was to publish exactly when they published it, right. and so the idea that this was done to like help Trump is just so ridiculous, and uh, she's and she was there, you know, yeah. she, she saw it firsthand. She was also there while they tried to warn the State Department that there had been uh, like a comp- that, that a bunch of documents that were unvetted. Uh, were going to be published by someone, a breakaway member of WikiLeaks, by a German newspaper, actually, I think. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes, it's yes. To the, the claims about, you know, she. It, it's a really good book, actually. Uh, it's, it's It almost has like a thriller. She would always be like called in the middle of the night and asked to fly sure. uh, wherever from, from Italy where she lives. Yeah. Uh, and she was spied on, and her phone was broke, was like t- taken apart by people at the uh, embassy, Ecuadorian embassy. Yes, well, because that was a contractor working for the CIA, right? And so, on the behalf of the CIA, uh, her her cell phone and others were spied on, and right. uh, very and other yeah. were spied on. She actually was upset by it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like the Washington Post correspondent was spied on, and just apparently doesn't care. Right. Doesn't care. Uh, it's just so funny. So that's that's so that will be Tuesday night at yeah. at what time? Seven PM EST. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Okay, Loki. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. I'm uh, not bad. How are you? Doing all right as well. Um, Aaron, were, were you like flexing on Matt Taibbi earlier? Uh, not at all. No. What do you mean? Um, you you were mentioning that you were writing a book. You're like, I, I can do the interviews and write a book at the same uh-huh. time is, is the message I got. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, no. <laughs> First of all, I've been working on this book for a long time and, uh, you know, a lot of it is uh, going to be based on stuff I've already published about Russiagate, especially. So, 
Whereas Matt is writing a whole new book on a, on about the pandemic and its impact on, on people. So I think he'll be doing a lot of original reporting for the book. Uh, I see. And, and so as just, far, oh, go ahead. I'm, just, uh, I'm just trying to get mine out as fast as possible. So okay. our timelines are very different. I see. So you, I guess, you know, for normal people that aren't like writing books so often, like publishing a book, depending on the, the subject and how much material you have like pre-written is kind of like makes it makes a difference in how fast you can produce it. Right. It does. Now look, it's still taking me forever. I, I work on it so much and, uh, um, it's taken a long time. So, (laughs) <laughs> but I'm going as fast as I can. But certainly, I, I think Matt will be doing a lot of original reporting for his book. And I'll, I'll be doing some for my Russiagate book. But a lot of it is also – I have a lot of material already that I can draw on. Gotcha. All right. Now the serious question. So what do you – what's your opinion? Of course, since you're kind of you're, – you're in this environment, you know, what do you think of the phenomenon of um, the cult of personality – with within the media and within politics, you know, they say, you know, Hollywood is Hollywood and uh, or politics or Washington is Hollywood for ugly people. So there's still kind of this aspect of being an actor, showing a character and the and the personality, which, you know, even to, you know, honest journalists like yourself and Katie and, you know, many, many other independent journalists that this phenomenon creeps on them as well and, you know, has different effects on different people. What do you think about that? I'm not sure I, I get your question. The cult of personality, like, like around who? Like, like around, around media personalities? Like, around, uh, around the whole media, the whole, around you personally, which okay. I'm pretty sure you can answer easier. But if right. you have, like, an answer, like, around the media in general and, you know, its influence well, I, I and what like, we can do yeah. to get to under, you know, to get to the facts of things and filter yeah. through things that might just be fanboying or fangirling or whatever you want to say, you know what I mean? Things. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I got it. So okay. Certainly. Like certainly in the lefty media space, like, you know, if you look at what happened after Bernie, there was some unity during the Bernie times, you know, everybody was inspired by Bernie and everyone kind of coalesced around it. Now, after the Bernie campaign collapsed, it became sort of like a scramble for territory, for turf. It's a turf war. And then you saw a lot of people turn on each other. And uh, a lot of it became about attacking other people. And, you know, um, and, uh, and then as someone who's been on the receiving end of those attacks, you know, the question for me is, do what, like, what do I do? Do I ignore them? Do I answer them? And, you know, I, looking back, I, I probably spent too much time responding to attacks, like, I could have just said maybe my piece once and then moved on, but it's just, I don't know. It because, when someone attacks you, it's hard not to respond. And, right. Um, so certainly, yeah. Yeah. What's your I, discernment, I, I, Aaron, between like an attack that's worth responding to and an attack that's not worth responding to from your perspective? Uh, if to respond to an attack, you're, you're, then you're like, you're punching down, like you're responding to someone who, has way less of an audience and doesn't really do any journalism, then it's probably just worth ignoring. But if it's like, you know, if, in the case of like the Young Turks, when they have a bigger platform than me and they're accusing me of being a Russian agent, um, that's worth responding to, I think. Dude, 
the the young Turks are a garbage fire, and and you know maybe they they know how to be entertaining from time to time, but yeah, they're a garbage fire. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, and I've stopped responding to them pretty much. Sometimes I still do, but I, I, like I get sent stuff where they still talk about me, and I I don't respond to everything because it's it's uh, I. I yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so look, uh, in general, the idea is to, the answer is to focus on issues, not get caught up in, in turf wars, but, um, you know, I, I'm not imper like, I'm not, um, I'm not above that. Like, so I myself get dragged into that sometimes, but I, I'm personally trying to avoid it. Um, and I'm spending less time on Twitter in general and Twitter, Twitter is very conducive to that kind of stuff. So you know, um, what's an alternative then besides besides call in to Twitter? Would you say that's conducive to to the correct thing? Well, you know, just focusing on the issues and write, writing stuff. Uh, you know, like um, you know, just like producing um, stuff that's proactive and not just about being reactive to other people's preparing writing. for you, yes, yeah. for example. Yes, okay. that's one platform. So, yeah. 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 We don't really do that here. Um, you know, except for sometimes when it's funny, but yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what is your, I mean, what, 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 what concerns you here? Like, and, and, and what, what, like, what would you like to see? Happen? The, the whole thing concerns me, although that's as far as I would like to see, you know, it's, it's things that, are actively worked against, which is just, you know, pure transparency as far as, as any issues that concern the public. So if a decision is going to be made that affects the public, the public has a right to, uh, to, you know, give a hearing, give an opinion, you know, write something or at least, you know, through, through other, other methods or forms of forms of government, hopefully that are effective that you can, you know, have that you can have an effect on the things that affect you, you right. know? Right. Well, fair enough. Loki, thank you for the call. Thanks, Take Loki. it easy. You too. <laughs> Peace. All right. V. Hello, Aaron. Hi there. Uh, nice to talk to you again. You guys again. Just, um, so I just want to ask about, um, at Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's allies, uh, I've seen the report from the New York Times saying that um, Ukraine, uh, they're, like, the, uh, like its allies have been pouring too much arms uh, right, uh, and right now they're, they're really low on su- supplies. Uh, I, th- I think Russia's size as well. I'm not too sure about that. Um, do you think that the right now with the war still going on do you think that uh, like if there's some sort of like alarm from washington that maybe there should be uh some negotiation to with russia to talk about how they're going to end this or do you, uh, or is it just going to be like uh, a forever war thing yeah i i do think I the reason the reason why you're seeing people like uh, Mark Milley call for negotiations yeah. is they're seeing, you know, the threat of NATO being dragged into this because of Russia's uh, performance and, and Ukraine's vulnerabilities, but also because they're sending out 
a lot of weapons. And, you, you know, apparently, you know, according to articles like this one you're mentioning in the New York Times, U.S. stockpiles are running low. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and also like the 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 um the arms supplies that are meant to like the nineteen point one billion arms supplies that are meant to go to Taiwan has been delayed because uh, of like the U.S. arms to Ukraine comes first. Yeah, that. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you're trying to run a global empire, stuff like this can start being a drag, and so. Uh, I do think you're going to see more calls for negotiations and, you know, the recognition that, you know, Russia has been bled a lot and maybe this is pretty much as far as, as that can go um, before yeah. Russia mobilizes something like 300,000 new forces and has an, has an advantage. So, um, you know, I don't want to make predictions because who knows with war, but I do think the fact you're seeing calls for negotiations at a higher level in the West is a sign that, there is a certain fatigue and maybe that will have an impact. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. And uh, JG. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, I, I was just calling in uh, because uh, I, first I wanted to say, I'm, I'm glad that Katie is interviewing Stefania about the Assange case I just got my copy of the book, uh, and I'm going to be interviewing Stefania on my own show soon. So that's uh, really great to hear. I'm, I'm enjoying the book so far. I think her work's very important. I guess what I wanted to call in to ask about was, uh, you know, I know uh, Katie Holper uh, was talking with Rania Kulik recently um, when that incident with the Hill happened. And one thing that I thought was interesting in that conversation was, I, I think there's a lot of uh, disagreement on the left about things like, Syria and the Ukraine situation, but with Israel, it, it seems like a, a lot more people are, uh, you know, really understanding the Palestinian side of things than maybe they have been in the past. And I think Rania and Katie talked about that. I was wondering, uh, do you guys think there has been a sea change in how we talk about Palestine in this country, or uh, is that being too, I guess, optimistic? And where do you think things are headed with regards to uh, Palestine? There has been a sea change. There just hasn't been a, in, in, in discourse and public opinion. There just hasn't been one in policy. Well, wait, wait, so where do you think we head next then with regards to, um, you know, pushing forward for the, the Palestinian cause? Organizing. Like keeping on doing what we're doing. Right. Well, I, 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 I just wanted to call in to ask about that. I think I think it is going in a good direction. So appreciate the work you guys are doing. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Okay. Next, we will go to Tyler. Hello. Hi, Tyler. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Good, thank you. Katie, uh, it's your Vancouver buddy. Um Next, I've been to lots of Jewish uh, uh, bagel bakeries all around Toronto, Montreal, Chicago, New York. But next time you're around here, you got to go to Seagull's Bagels and then let us know what you think, how it stacks up. All right. Aaron, what do you say as a Vancouverite? You know Seagull's Bagels? I know Seagull's. Seagull's is pretty good. Uh, Seagull's in Vancouver, for if you're into bagels, is pretty much the best you can do. And uh, 
I'll be in Vancouver actually uh, later on today, so uh, maybe For I'll what? check it out. Yeah, uh, I'm just going oh, to visit. Visit the fam. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah, let your dad know we really enjoyed his uh, his um, hangout at the Jimmy Dore show. That was that could have just gone on for yeah. hours. Everybody loved it. <laughs> He's going to be hanging out Katie, at the Katie Helper show in Jan- in January, and then we're going to get him on this show. I'll probably have to do it because Aaron, I think, doesn't want to bother his own dad, which I understand. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, hey guys, I'm just calling because I'm noticing that the um, um, there's been a strategy change with double agents and I'll use the word chills for a lack of better word. Like there's a lot of talk about how, you know, the new conservative party leader, for example, uh, Pierre, uh, Uwe, never know how to pronounce his name properly, or people like Ron DeSantis or like the new Swedish prime minister, that they're really just WEF controlled opposition. And people are just getting bounced around these political footballs, like getting the conservatives to come out because of the Roe versus Wade. And then now we're going to get the nationalists to come out because of the economy's crap, because the borders are uncontrolled. Um, you know, I just want you guys to there's going to be more signs of that, like Elon Musk, I personally think in his example or independent outlets like Breaking Points. Sadly, I feel like have sold out, but, you know, under disguise. So just kind of maybe bring that to your attention for any comments and for future considerations with the crack team at the gray zone, like Alec Rubenstein and Max and Enya, and you guys can kind of keep an eye on that. Um, and that's all I'll say. Thank you. Okay. Tyler, thanks for the call. And, uh, Daniel. Hey guys, how you doing today? Uh, good. Good. Aaron, I was, I was curious, uh, I just had this thought the other day. Do, do people from the Vancouver area call it the Pacific Southwest? Uh, that's a uh, good <laughs> question. No, no, they do not. No, no. It's okay. a, well, no, yeah. Vancouverites consider themselves a part of the Pacific Northwest, but it's a good point that actually, you know, it's yeah. Uh, in <laughs> it's Canada, in Canada, we're actually south, but yeah. but continent-wise, you know, we are kind of close to the north. So sure, you know, sure, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just was curious about like, you know, like, do you have any concerns with Scott Ritter, like interviewing Chechen commanders and still pretending like he's not pro Uh I don't know which interview you're referring to. So, so Scott Ritter recently interviewed a Chechen commander. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, look, I haven't seen the interview, so I, I can't speak to it. Uh, look, Ritter openly says that he supports Russia's that, that he thinks Russia is on the right side in this war. He said that he thinks he thinks Russia is on the right. He thinks Russia had no choice but to invade, and that they're fighting neo Nazis or a, a neo Nazi infiltrated government. And he thinks that they're on the right side. Um, so, in that sense, he is pro Russia when it comes to this war. He thinks Russia is on the right, but. Um, I still think I, th- I think Scott Ritter is a uh, informed voice who has a lot of experience, who has shown courage in the past when he you know tried to stop the Iraq War by being becoming a whistleblower, which is a really big decision and cost him a lot. And so I'm going to pay attention to him, even though he admits to you know a, a bias for one side. And I don't th- and just you know no matter what his own personal views are, I don't think there's anything wrong with interviewing. <laughs> A, a, a commander on the Russian side. I think it's good to hear 
from all sides, uh, just as I would want to hear from a Ukrainian commander too. Yeah. I mean, what is your, well, I what, mean, what was your, you know, he also yeah. like, is, he's not just interviewing him. He's like fawning over him. He's like, Oh, he has the hero of Russia award, blah, blah, blah. You know? And it's just like, we get it, dude. Uh, you know, like I just, it just bothers me again to act like you're pro peace, but he's really, he really is pro war. Uh, and he's pro Russian uh, war against again a sovereign nation and he's he's obviously again pro-imperialist and it's just maddening that like he's treated as some kind of yeah like you said like in four voice he's he's not he's been he's been on russian propaganda tv same thing fawning over the russian forces okay well look he's not here to defend himself so now you're making some statements that i think he would probably take issue with but look going on rt to me is not uh, th- there's nothing wrong with that. People have the right to go on whatever channel they want. And whether it's RT or it's Radio Free uh, Europe, which is sponsored by the no, US. I, I think it was like on 60 Minutes Russia or whatever, you know. The, the... Okay, well, I, I, look, listen, he has the right to his opinions and um, I think, uh, look, you know, I don't agree personally with him on in defending the invasion. I, I can't accept, as I've said many times, that Russia had no choice but to invade, although I do think they were provoked. But I think, you know, people have the right to a different opinion, and I'm not going to, just just because Ritter supports one side, I, I'm, I'm not going to dismiss him. Uh, to me, uh, I mean, I consider him to be uh, someone who's credible. But I, I understand why you, from your perspective, you're seeing him basically rooting for, for one side. Um, I understand why you don't want to listen to that. And that's fine. But I'm not going to fault him for interviewing uh, Russian or Chechen commanders or or going on Russian TV. Okay. Yeah, I just, you know, like, again, I'm just wondering, like, it. there's this uh, patina of, you know, objectivism uh, that, that's kind of painted over the alternative media space. And, like, I just, I'm struggling with it because I just... It feels like, you know, it all, it, again, it, it's like it always goes in one direction. Like I would say, you know, it typically goes in one direction with mainstream media. And so, like, if it's just. So you think in the mainstream, like, wait, wait, just to understand you, you're saying in the alternative media space, do you think it goes in the one direction in favor of Russia? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. For sure. I okay. mean, like, I'm not, and I, you know, someone was just asking you about attacks. You know, like, I'm not trying to attack you, but I am. No, just I understand. When I understand. Gray Zone yeah. says it's investigative journalism on uh-huh. Empire, I'm wondering, like, why not Russian Empire? Well, uh, that depends on your perspective on what Russia's motives are. Uh, Wait, I, I, I want to make sure I understand. You think that most media, mainstream media, is is sympathetic towards Russia? No, no, no. no, no. The other way. He's saying oh, most okay. towards Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's saying that just as mainstream media is sympathetic for Ukraine, that alternative media is sympathetic for Russia. And um, and look, on the question of empire, I just don't see Russia as an empire. When when Russia's engaged in military intervention recently in Syria and Ukraine, I don't think that was motivated by empire. I think in the case of Ukraine, Russia snapped and I think acted in a very reckless way. And I don't think I mean, personally, I think it would have served everybody's interests, including Russia, for them uh, not to invade. Because I, I think there's been a disaster for everybody. 
But I don't think that was done for empire reasons. I think they're reacting to a policy of using of the West using Ukraine as a tool to undermine Russia. And, um, you know, people like, again, this is not a fringe view anymore. Uh, Charles Kupchin, who was a former senior official under Obama, wrote an article in The New York Times a few weeks ago saying that Russia has legitimate concerns about uh, Ukraine joining NATO and that NATO is a threat to Russia and that has to be respected. And so, you know, that's where I'm coming from, too. Right. Well, and, and this, it's the, it's the, so, so it comes down to your perspective on on that issue, or, uh, whether you think Russia is being is acting recklessly, but also defensively or not, or just being an empire. Yeah, I like again, if we just look at objectively what they've done rather than what they've said, it is it is imperialism. Uh, they've annexed four regions on top of a fifth uh, very illegally. And uh, they're deporting or sorry, they're they're stealing children from Ukraine. Okay. So listen, this could get into a long debate, but just two quick things. That's fine. I just uh, no, 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 no. I want to make two quick points and then and then we'll, uh, we'll move on. But first of all, yes, Russia did annex those territories. And I do think those annexations are illegal. But again, they come after years of Russia supporting the Minsk Accords, which had they been implemented, would have kept all of Ukraine intact, just granted some limited autonomy to ethnic Russians who rightly or wrongly see themselves under attack by the U.S.-backed Ukrainian government after 2014. Russia supported Minsk. Um, and uh, Russia did submit... Well, well, the, well having well, troops like, in the country, that's having, not... No, yes, that, but, but again... Again, under, what they say and what they do under, are two different things. Under, under Minsk, under, if, if Minsk had been implemented, then Russian troops wouldn't have been allowed to be there. Um, had Minsk been fully implemented. It's the far that, right. No, no. The, say, truck, okay, the troops, don't Minsk can't be implemented don't, with don't troops don't there. 12,000 troops. Okay. Um, well, the number. Less than 1,000. You like to harp on U.S. soldiers being in Syria. There's less than 1,000 there. I'm just saying, like, if you have a problem with that, why wouldn't you have a problem with Russia doing that? Okay. If you look, okay, listen, here's where, again, we're going to disagree on what the facts are. The majority, yes, Russia has had troops in Ukraine for, for the last eight years. The, no one denies that. The um, that's is, not true. People do deny that, but okay, it's stupid right. too. Okay, sure. <clears throat> um, then I'm not denying it. The sure. point is that the um, uh, Minsk had, had a certain timetable for being implemented. And it was Ukraine, because of the far right in Ukraine that wouldn't accept it, that refused to implement it. That to me is just, un, it's, it's uncontested. Yeah. And Russia officially... You've actually... You've and, been and also, presented also, with counterfactuals on that. Hold on a second. If I can finish my point. Russia also submitted treaties to the U.S. in December of 2021 that were very detailed and talked about rolling back NATO expansion, um, not fully, but just basically in post-1997 NATO states, rolling back the NATO military presence there because those are the ones closest to Russia and which Russia perceives as a threat to its security. The, uh, Russia doesn't have missiles aimed at the U.S. in Canada or Mexico. But U.S. has missiles in Poland and Romania that are aimed at Russia. So either you believe that Russia asking to address all this is imperialism or not. I don't. And the, the allegation you talk about of Russia kidnapping children, that's also been contested. And what that is is basically just uh, 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 kids that have been left without parents are being adopted. Uh, that's what happens in war. So you have to also qu question, I think, some of the assumptions you're making. And that's where we'll leave it because we don't have time to debate anymore today. But thank you for the call. Can I just and say we'll, one more thing? We'll, no, I'm sorry. Uh, we're uh, we're going to take a last caller and then we're going to wrap up. 
And uh, but but next time to the last caller, call back and, and make your point next week. Okay, go ahead, John. Uh, hey, you guys, uh, good to hear you today. Um, I also uh, was going to have a question on Scott Ritter, but as the last caller uh, kept going on, I went and actually looked it up. Um, I think it was uh, last night. I was on Telegram and I had been following an account that said Scott Ritter official. And it seemed to jibe with what I'd heard from him. And then last night, I came across this post, which said, let me uh, share it with you. Rest in peace, Mr. President, parentheses, JFK. Through your wisdom and strength and your tragic death, patriots have planned, install, blah, blah, blah. It goes on. We the people. And then it ends with where we go one, we go all. So I actually deleted the account. Um, to your knowledge, Scott Ritter is not part of Q uh, Anon, is he? <laughs> Wait. In other words, when I looked it up today now, there's at least 10 accounts on there purporting to be Scott Ritter. Oh, I see. And I'm pretty sure you will not find 10 accounts. I haven't looked, but you won't find 10 accounts purporting to be uh, Chuck Todd, for instance, you know, so um, like Scott Ritter has been, he was right. He was telling us about the weapons, the lack of weapons of mass destruction. And for that, he was vilified. He was personally attacked. He was, um, you know, just. Yes, he was. Tried to yes, he was. And, uh, oh. and, and that's why I was saying before, that I think he deserves, you know, um, for me, at least personally, he deserves support because of the risk he's taken uh, for the cause of peace over the course of, of his career. And uh, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything he says. And I don't agree with everything he says about the war in Ukraine, but I, I do listen to him. I'm not going to dismiss him. And I think he's he's earned our, our respect. But yes, he does have a lot of impersonators on social media, people trying to... I think it's it's a combination of people trying to, to smear him, but also just trying to profit off of his popularity because his... He, he's found a big audience during the Ukraine war. And so people are just impersonating him. It's happened to me too on Telegram. Like my Telegram channel, I don't control it. Someone's impersonating me. And they wow. throw in like, they throw in like, you know, uh, ads for, I think, Bitcoin and other, other scams. Um, and there's nothing I can do about it. I've tried to report it, but, you know, I can't do anything about it. So Scott sounds like he's in a similar situation. Yeah. And on, on Twitter, it's like really difficult to even try to make a comment when you say something on Twitter or yeah. Max does, um, it just gets attacked by the NAFO trolls. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. anyway, I just uh, I just wanted to bring up that point and uh, to say uh, also congratulations, Katie, um, on your award. I'm sure. Thanks. I, I'm sure this is not a, a well-known award, but, you know, let's face it, the really well-known ones, like they gave Obama the Nobel Peace Prize, right? Right. <laughs> here, so, here. Here, I right. hear that. Love you guys. Uh, take thanks, care John. Yourself. You right. too. Bye. Thanks for the call. All right. Thanks, everybody, for calling. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week, same time. And always, always you can support us at usefulidiots.substack.com. Go there to get uh, bonus content and other good stuff. And we'll see you next time. Great. Thanks, everyone. Bye.